We're wrapping up a series today called We Are. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to the New Testament, to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians. If you don't have your Bible, uh, power on the phone, the iPad, or it's going to be on the screens. Uh, We've, like I said, finishing up this series called We Are for the last several weeks. We've talked about we are members. We're members of one body, one group here. Those that we are covenanted together to be a member of LifePoint local church. We've talked about we are baptized and the importance that it means to be baptized as a follower of Christ. We've talked about we're invited to the table, to the communion table, where we as followers of Jesus, we get to uh, take uh, symbolically of his body and his blood as a memorial to proclaim his death. Last week, we talked about we are called. We're called and we're servants. And we, you, you heard R.C. speak that. This week, we're going to talk about we are generous, about what it means as a body of believers to be a generous body. And many times, that's not what we think about when we think of a body of believers. Many times, and, and I want to say this, uh, you, you realize that the church is, is not this building here on Almaville Road. The church is us. It's we as believers, we who are followers of Jesus, those of us who have uh, received the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we've surrendered our life to it, and we said, Jesus, we want you to change us. The, the, The one who graciously gave his life, so often we're not generous people in living in response to that. And today, we're gonna talk about what does that look like? What does it look like to be a generous person? And we're going to do that from the book of First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. Now, before we jump in, let me give you a little background story. Uh, this may be something new for you guys. I think RC's like this, but from you may not know this about me. I'm going to ask you to take out a piece of paper and a pen. I want you to take some notes or be able to get your thumbs going. I think there's some valuable stuff whenever we open the Word that we need to walk away with and be able to ponder and think through. Acts chapter 16 and 17 is the start of the Corinthian church. Corinth is still, there's still a city in Greece today called Corinth. It's 80 miles east of, west of Athens, and uh, it's still there. It doesn't look the same as it did in those days, but the church is, the, the, the site is still there. Uh, and so Acts 16 and 17 is all about Paul and what it took to found that, that place. Well, if you read through that, and I want to encourage you this, read, this week, read First and Second Corinthians. If you can, sit down and read all of it at one time. It won't take you a long time if you go, man, I don't know if I had the time. Then read more than a verse. Read like a chapter or two at a time, two, three chapters. Get up, come back later, because it really helps to be able to get the flow. And what you begin to notice when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that the church was really messed up. Things went south really quick. People were divided up into factions. Oh, listen, I really like R.C.'s teaching. Oh, no, really, I like Matt's teaching. Oh, no, I like Pat's teaching. Oh, no, I like Kyle's teaching. They were people getting drunk on communion. They would come together to have communion. They would drink all the wine. Not everybody got to be a part of it, and they would get drunk during communion. They would want to have these uh, ecstatic, great uh, experiential worship services, and nobody knew what was going on. Guests were coming in going, this place is freaked out. They didn't have a clue what was happening. Uh, The church was a mess. 
And so Paul wrote some letters trying to help correct it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about a painful visit that he had to make. He says, listen, I have to go back. He had to go back over there, and he had to correct the situation. You know, what we believe to be the situation was, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you find out that a man is sleeping with his dad's wife. That's jacked up. I'm just telling you. Paul has to go to him and say, listen, this is not right. So he comes back, 2 Corinthians, and what in the in the book of 2 Corinthians, he's writing an, uh, like a letter to try to amend things and make things right. He's talking about how much he loves them. But there are some things in there that he says, listen, you still need to grow in. And one of those is generosity. You see, in that, t- in that day, during that time, uh, that whole region was called Macedonia. And Macedonia involves in your New Testament the book of Philippians, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica. You have the Corinthian church. And so in Jerusalem at this time, there was a huge famine that had taken place. I mean, food was scarce. There was no, there was no food to be found. And this church in Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem, uh, they were impoverished, very poor, they, they didn't have money to buy food. They were looking out for one another. But Paul began to put out a plea that the churches around the world should come together and help feed and help that church. Well, the Corinthian church, we can assume, based on the passage we're going to read, they would not learned that lesson yet. And Paul says to them, I want you to be a generous body. And he utilizes the churches of Macedonia Philippians and Thessalonians, the Philippians and the Thessalonians, to point that out. Okay, so with that background, let's start reading in chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to start reading. We're going to read 1 through 9, but I'm just going to kind of read 1 and 2 and kind of talk about it, and we'll keep going from there, all right? So let's start reading at, at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Paul is writing, and here's what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. First stop, you got a pen, underline the grace of God, write that down somewhere. You're going to see throughout this text, he talks about generosity being a grace of God. So we, want you, we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, what I want you to catch really quick is this. is In verse 1, he talks about the, the grace of God. And we're talking about in this whole, chat, this whole section here about generosity. And what you're going to see, and I want you to hear this from the very beginning, is this. Is that Paul says this. Is that when you're a generous people, it is a grace of God in your life. And how often do we think that I don't have enough, I don't, if I give, I'm not going to be able to get the next thing. And that Paul starts out very quickly and says this, generosity is a grace of God. It's a grace of God in your life. We've got to catch that, folks. As a church, as a body of believers, we have to catch that generosity is a grace of God in our lives. And he, he calls us towards that. The second thing that I want you to see in, this, in these two verses is this, is that he talks about the severe affliction of the Macedonian church. Now, 
If you were to go back over, and I hope that you'll do this, in, in chapter 7, just one chapter over, Paul talks about the severe afflictions that they had to go through to start and found the churches through there. He talks about spiritual warfare that happened. He talked about being in need and in want and having physical issues that were going on. So Paul knew and understood what was happening up in the northern part of Macedonia He knew and understood that this was a small body of believers. You can't be thinking necessarily like we do about churches today or the church that we're a part of, LifePoint. We're not talking thousands and thousands of people. We're talking about a small band of believers. And he says this in verse 2. He says, listen, out of their severe affliction, all the warfare, all the spiritual warfare, all the persecution, and he says, and out of their extreme poverty... They discovered the grace of God in their generosity, and they wanted to give. My experience has been this. My experience is this, is that people who are in dire situations begin to recognize the grace of God and the generosity that has been given to them quicker than people who have no needs and have no wants. It's just kind of a fact of life. It's not until that we face difficult, dire situations. Many times, afflictions of the spirit or afflictions of the body or difficult situations that we begin to step back and recognize, wow, God, you have given me so much. God, you have laid your life down. God, you, things that I, you realize our salvation is nothing, the scripture says, that we deserve. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast. God, I didn't do anything to receive what it is that you've given to me freely. It is a grace that you have bestowed upon me. Jesus, you generously. God, you sent your one and only son. You sent your one and only son. Jesus, you stepped out of heaven. The scripture says you took on, he took on flesh and bone, flesh and blood. He didn't count equality with something God to grasp. He set it aside. He humbled himself. And he took on the same afflictions that we take on today. He who was rich beyond measure, became poor for our sake, so that he might generously and graciously give us by the sacrifice of his his life on the cross that he might give generously to you and I. Listen, uh, so often, it's not until we recognize that and that we experience that. When we realize we didn't do anything, we didn't honor it, we didn't, I mean, we didn't do anything to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to deserve it, We can't work for it. We can't gather it. Oftentimes when we are gathering and getting and hunting and working and doing those types of things to gain wealth, well, look what I did. But it's not until it's all stripped away that we realize we've we've been given so much. He has so generously given to us. It's been given to us. Don't we fight this, parents, with our teenagers? Yet, so often I find that we as adults in this very situation, we act like teenagers about the things that we also have been given. That we didn't deserve it. We didn't get it. God has graciously and generously given to us so that we might in turn open our hands and graciously and generously give back to him. Wow. That's something the Lord in and of itself is teaching me. Now, listen, this Macedonian church, They've under severe affliction, extreme poverty, and notice that it didn't stop them from opening up and saying, listen, we want to be involved. We want to give. We want to be a part of helping the Jerusalem church. 
Listen, they, were, they weren't a body of people, like I said, that were thousands. They probably were a small, very small body of people in that area. They didn't have religious freedom like we have. These people were saved out of cult temple prostitution. The way they worshipped was to go to the temple of Aphrodite, the temple of Artemis, and they would have sex with temple prostitutes in worship. They were saved out of that. And now then they're going, that's no longer our life. Their families turned against them. Their families say, what is this? You're crazy. They're ostracized from society. They have nothing. Extreme affliction, extreme poverty, and yet they realize, listen, the only family I have is in the middle of a famine. How could I not open up my hands and give? How could I not do that? It probably, you know, the question that I have as I'm reading and thinking through this is, uh, what causes somebody to do that? I mean, wouldn't it have been easier to say, hey, Paul, listen, next year, I think we may be larger. I think we may have all kinds of things. Maybe my financial situation will be in a different place. And check with me next year, and we'll send some money next year. We'll get together. We'll no, listen, they recognized. They recognized that, boy, God, you have done something in my life. And because of their suffering, because of their poverty, they realize, listen, when you have nothing, everything that has been given to you, I give to you. I open up my hands. That's a challenge for me. Do you realize that we live in the top 1% of the world in wealth? Even the most poorest of us, we live, we're rich And we have the ability to be people of generosity. Think about this for just a moment. Think about it. I said it again. I'm going to say it again. Think about this for just a moment. God who had everything sacrificed his one and only son. One. He didn't have three and go, okay, I'll send one of them. I've still got two. He sent his one and only son. Jesus, who the scripture says was equal with God. He didn't count equality with him something to grasp. He let it go. He humbled himself. The Holy Spirit, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit who would come. Listen, we've been given so much. Yet we and ourselves who have so much, we give so little. We give so little. So little time, so little talents. I'm telling you, folks, this is a challenge to me. This is something the Lord's been speaking to me. And I know that if he's speaking to me, he's got to be speaking to us. Because the Lord never does anything in a vacuum. We're a part of a community. We are the body. So this is a word to us, not just to me. This is a word to us for us to be looking. Listen, out of their extreme suffering, out of their extreme poverty, They open their hands generously to give, to give. These folks realized and and, and understood more clearly when Paul probably would have said to them also, look at Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Paul probably would have said this to them. You know, when R.C. teaches here or R.C. goes, you you know, we're all broken records. So Paul probably would have said the exact same thing in, uh, to the church at Corinth when he said this, he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, underline it, graciously give us all things? You see, giving is a grace. We've been graciously given to, and the Father expects us to extend that gracious giving to others. That's what he's called us to be about and called us to be a part of and to join in. One of the things that I've recognized is that suffering is a magnifier of the generosity of God. Suffering is a magnifier of the generosity of God. Now, some of you in this room, you understand this. Maybe you've been in a situation where you were in dire need. I've had, you know, this, you realize our church, we have a prison ministry. Okay, I don't know if you know that or not. We do work at the jail at 940 in Murfreesboro. And we have men who are coming out of, those jail, of the jail. And they're stepping here, Riverdale. They're stepping in Smyrna. And you know what you hear about? Here's what I hear. It wasn't until I had nothing sitting in the cell that I realized how much I really had in Jesus. Have you ever been laying on your back? Have you ever walked into a room in a, ho- in a uh, hospital room or in a bedroom of someone who's dying? struggling with cancer, their body is racked, and you look at them and you ask them, is there anything I can do for you? What, what do you need? And their words are this, God is so good. He has been so gracious to me. You see, folks, suffering and hardship is a magnifier of the generosity and the graciousness of God. And here's the thing that we don't catch myself included, is that when we give, we are stepping into the graciousness of God. Uh, Yes, it helps and it blesses those that we graciously give to, but do you realize, listen, what God does in our own life, and he breaks the hold of consumerism, when he breaks the hold of stuff, when those things are no longer idols in our lives, he begins to break that away from us. Listen, Paul says, listen, this church that is full of affliction, they're in extreme poverty. They didn't let it stop them. They wanted to get involved. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 says this. For they gave according to their means, all right? For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Verse 4 says this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, when the scripture here says, in verse three, they gave according to their means, essentially what that means is is they gave what they could, okay? They, They gave what they have, they gave out of what they had, and then he goes on and makes another shocking statement here. Look at what he says. He says, and then they gave beyond their means. That means not just what they had, but then they went further. This is the type of giving when you look at someone and go, there's no way they uh, I'm thankful they've given this. And then later you look at them and they're still giving more beyond. They're giving, they're not just giving out of their wealth, they're giving out of their, out of their poverty. And saying, God, we give this to you. Paul says, they were begging us. I can imagine Paul saying, no, 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 you've done enough. Look at what's around. Listen, you got, and they're going, no, please let us give. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. I want us. I want me. I want us, the people. If we're begging to give, do you know what? 
that will revolutionize and change not only our own lives, but this community. Because people will look at us and go, that, is, that church, they're willing to step in. They're willing to step in to hurt and need. That's what they're willing to do. This week, uh, I've just returned. I got back from Central Asia. Our church, I don't know if you know this, uh, our church, we, our, some of our sent ones are there. Uh, we, uh, and so we, Peyton Bullen, our sending pastor and myself, we were in Turkey. And we were meeting with, uh, we're trying to encourage our uh, sent ones that are there. Had the opportunity to meet with a small little band of believers. One guy, man, has come to Christ and has been baptized. We met in his home. There were probably 10 or 11, 12 of us sitting in a room. There were some other uh, Asians there who have not uh, come to know Christ yet. This man, when he came to know Jesus Christ, lost everything. His family turned away from him. He can't hold a job any longer because he lives in a Muslim society. And when his bosses find out that he's a, a believer because the dude is telling everybody about Jesus Christ. You know what they do? They fire him because it hurts his, their business. He can't keep a job. Not because he doesn't want one. He can't have one. He has no family. He has no job. Yet when I stepped into his home, let me put this in perspective, his two-room home that has a wood-burning stove with a pipe that heats that area. That's all they have. I had a feast. The man had no food, but he gave us everything he had. Because you see, a man who has nothing realizes how graciously God has given and says, here, I give back to you. You're my family. You're all that I have. You're it. Out of extreme affliction, out of extreme poverty, he begged, Kim, what else can I do? What else can I give? Standing in contrast to me who's going, oh gosh, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> you know, if I give over here, that means I'm not going to get that next thing. Have you been there? Anybody with me on this? You ever been there? And yet, here the father sent his only son, gave his only son. What a challenge. The scripture says that he gave according to their means and then begged for us to give more. When my wife and I were dating, uh, my wife's name is Amy. We've been married for almost 29 years. Three grown kids, married. When we were dating, I was like the Tom Brady of dates. We would go out on a date, and I already knew when we got to the restaurant, okay, there's got to be three different things that I can order based on what it is that she orders because I've only got limited amount of funds. We're going to let her go first, and then based on what she goes, I can go this way or I can go this way. It's like calling an audible at the table. You just got to be ready at all times. So let's say you go, out, you go out to eat. Guys, you're taking this lady out to eat. Maybe it's your spouse today. I don't know. You, maybe some of you single guys, you're dating now, and you, you go out to eat. You know, it's reasonably expected, isn't it, ladies, that he's, gonna, he's invited you. He's going to pay for this thing. So you go, and, you know, he lets you. I say let you, you know. Hey, what do you want? I'm, maybe a salad. You're going to get 
some chicken, some fish. Some of you are going, nope, I'm going for the steak. Yeah, okay, you get your steak. I'm going to get me a Coke, maybe a tea. Y'all sit and have a nice conversation. Check comes. He pays for the check. The wedding is going to be great. I can count on him to do that. All right, here we go. But let's say, let's say you go out to eat. And before, you, I mean, you get there. In fact, you roll up to a steakhouse that you're going, I know this dude ain't got this kind of money. You sit down, and before you can order, he's asked for like a couple of good appetizers to come. What? Some appetizers have come to the table. Y'all are sharing these appetizers. Uh, he doesn't let you just get water or Coke this time. He asks, I want you to bring a nice bottle of wine for everybody. The waiter comes back over, and it's not just hey, what do you want? He says, hey, I want you to get her. I want you to get, bring her the eight-ounce uh, filet, bacon-wrapped. In fact, once you bring four of those big prawn shrimps on the side? When it, some of you are going, I'd never do that. That's not me. <laughs> then, then, when the meal's over, what he does then, it blows you away. He actually brings out dessert and says, hey, bring us a couple of cheesecakes. That way she can try some of mine. You're back here going, I don't even know who this guy is. Folks, th this is what Paul's kind of talking about. The Macedonians, in their poverty, in their affliction, they went far beyond. They said, Paul, please let us be involved. Paul, we have been given so much. We want to be involved in giving and sharing and be generous because it is a grace in our lives. I want you to know it's only the gospel that will do this. It is only the gospel. Those of us who have been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ, we recognize, let me say this, we should recognize that Jesus gave us all. He didn't just give part. He opened his hands, stretched out his arms, and said, my life for theirs. My righteousness for their sin. He freely and graciously gave. And for those of us who have freely and graciously received that gift, then we should be about being reciprocal of that and giving back to others also. Notice in verse nine or in chapter nine of first Corinthians, second Corinthians, chapter nine. In chapter nine, in, in chapter 9, oh, excuse me, I'm going to go back go, and go back to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. Let's, I, should, I should read there. Uh, verses 7 and 8. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in, all, and in our love for you, you uh, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Notice that generosity is an act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Notice that Paul didn't demand them a certain amount to send back to. Listen, Paul has already commanded them or commended them. Uh, I think it was a couple of verses earlier. Paul tells them, he says, listen, what, here's what I've noticed about the Corinthians. He tells the Corinthians, here's what I noticed about the Macedonians. He said they first gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to us. The inference here is, and I want to make sure and say this, the inference here is, is that they were obedient to the tithe that God had commanded. 
That's the inference here. If they first gave themselves to the Lord, then they're giving and doing all that the Lord has called the, uh, the, the church to do, the body to do, to bring the first fruits into the community, that first 10%. And so the ministry was happening. And then Paul says that, and then they gave themselves to us, commended themselves to us. Paul, what do you need? You need, you need more prayer? We want to pray. God, Paul, you need more workers? We want to be a worker. Paul, you need a place to stay? You come stay with us. People of extreme poverty. People of extreme poverty. Paul says, listen, they gave. And now he turns and he tells the Corinthians. He says, listen, you also need to excel in this type of grace. We need to be people who are generous. Now, in that, giving back over, because you're, again, you're inferring. They've been faithful, these Corinthians, to the tithe, to bringing in. I heard a story this week about a little boy. A uh, little country boy. He loved to fish. He was gone to go fish. Uh, and he showed up at his pastor's house one night, knocked on the door. The pastor opened the, the door. And the little boy had a, had, had a pretty good-sized fish on the string. And he said, Pastor, I wanted to bring this to you. And the pastor kind of looked at him. And the little, I mean, this is odd. This has not happened. And the little boy said, well, I, listen, I, I know and I heard and I believe what it is that you've been talking about tithing, and I wanted to bring my tithe to you. The pastor, being quick, a lot quicker than I was, he said, okay, that means, because he's good at math, that means you must have 10 fish. Where, let me see your other 10. He said, oh, no, this is the first fruit. I'm bringing you this. The, ni- the other nine are still on the river. I'm headed back to get them now. Folks, he was, we infer that the Corinthians were already being obedient. Paul says, listen, we want you now to be involved being generous and helping the Jerusalem church. They're impoverished. You step into this. Now, it would have been good fundraising for him to set an amount probably and say, hey, listen, those of you who have more, you give more. Those of you who don't have enough, you give a little bit. We're all getting into this. Do what you want. He said, no, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to set it in your heart and you do what it is that God's called you to do. God, read with me in chapter 9. Read with me in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 7. Chapter 9, verse 7, in the same book, one page over, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to recognize that God, who graciously gave all that he had, he gave his son. Jesus, who graciously gave, who laid down his life, who stepped out of heaven, he was crucified on a cross for your sins, for my sins. He graciously gave. The Holy Spirit, who graciously gives of himself to us to be our comforter, our peacemaker, I want you now to turn and do as the Macedonians. And I want you to excel in the giving, the grace of giving. Because when you excel in the grace of giving, people will see you and they will know this is so different. Isn't it something when you meet somebody who's a generous person because they stand in such direct contrast to what we see all across our circle of friends many times. And when that happens... You take note of it. I'm not talking about, and and I'm very thankful for wealthy people who are pledging to give away all their wealth to solve these issues. I'm talking about people that you know in your own sphere that you look at and go, 
They're always giving. And have you ever noticed it's the people who probably don't have enough to give that are the biggest givers? Do you know why? Because they recognize the one who has given the most to me, I stand now to hold my hands open and say, it's yours. It's yours. God, you freely gave to me, now I freely give to others. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to. Verse, back to chapter 8, verse 9, real quick. Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace, there's that word again in this passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. Folks, I think all through here now, we can begin to see that Paul wants us to understand that giving is never about the amount. You realize that? Giving is never about the amount. Being obedient to Christ and his scripture, we would say, is the tithe, the 10%. That's obedience. I do that. God, I want you to break the hold of materialism. God, I'm recognizing I am dependent on you. You gave me everything I have, and now I give back to you. God, I'm tr- I, my dependence is in you that I can live better on 90% than I can on 100%. You know what my experience is? My experience is this, is that people who are not obedient and faithful in the tithe typically can't even live on the 100%. Do you know that financial advisors tell us that people today spend about 125 to 130% of what they make? How is that possible? It's called credit. It's called being in debt up to my eyeballs. I had a, I had a, it's probably been 10, 12 years ago, I met with a family in my office and uh, they had all of these issues. I mean, they were huge issues. They were, and it came back around to finances. And it, did you realize, you didn't realize this, I'm about to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. They had over $120,000 on like five or six different credit cards in debt. Listen, I want you to hear this. Today, you may be sitting there going, how would I give? I don't have enough. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. How am I going to be generous? How am I going to be generous to people? I want you to hear this. Generosity is never about the amount. Generosity is all about the heart. And generosity is recognizing that God you so graciously gave. And so now, God, because you gave, I want to be like you, and I want to graciously give. And my experience has been that the more you graciously give, whatever that looks like, how that happens, you know what he begins to do? He begins to find that you are faithful, and he begins to give you more. Not He didn't give you more money to raise your standard of living. You know what he gives you more money for? It's not to raise your standard of living. It's to raise your standard of giving. Young couples in here, young couples in here, students, the greatest piece of advice I can give you is is that you need to figure out where your standard of living is going to be and set it right there so that when the Lord begins to give you more, you're not raising your standard of living, you're raising that giving because out of our generosity, out of our generosity, we are exhibiting the grace of God and we're receiving the grace of God. Not salvation. That happened on the cross. 
we're receiving and experiencing the grace of God that he's talked about all throughout this passage. So what can we learn? I said I want you to take a few notes. I'm going to give you a couple of things here, hopefully. A couple of things that we can learn. Here's What can we learn from an ancient Macedonian church? What can we learn about generosity? Well, here's the first thing. Generosity for the believer should be as natural as breathing. Uh, listen, Paul doesn't, Paul, Paul's not saying that we should be generous. Paul's just expecting that we will be generous. Paul's expecting that. And yet so often, generosity is not something that we do like breathing. And I, I need to say this here real quickly because I, I don't want you to lose this. This is not a pastor speaking to a, a body, a congregation. This is a member who happens to be a pastor speaking as a member to members. This word sets in my own lap. How generous am I? I don't know if you know this or not. I think you do. David and Jennifer McCayman are, today's their last Sunday at Riverdale. And I want to ask you to continue to pray for them. Uh, I'm going to be filling in down there for them. So what's happening in Riverdale today is David's preaching his last message at Riverdale. It's not this one. I'm going to be teaching that message down there next Sunday as I start. How many times am I teaching that message here today? You know how many times I'm going to be teaching that message down at Riverdale next week? Three plus two is what? Five. Five times I'm teaching this message, and I'm asking the Lord this morning, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you teaching me? Folks, the Lord is working in our midst today, and he's calling us. And he says, listen, we, generosity should be like breathing for the believer should be like breathing for the believer. There's an old pastor named D.L. Moody. He says this, one out of every 100 men will read their Bible. The other 99 will read that man. I want you to hear this. I'm almost done, I promise. I hear that a lot. <laughs> one out of 100 men Christians will read their Bible. The other 99 will read that man or that woman. Let me ask you this. What, what are your people around you reading? What's the story that your life is writing? Is it one of generosity or is it one of scarcity? I gotta, I gotta get this. I gotta. What do you, what, what, what's our life look like? Number two is this, through generosity, we have a chance to be the hands and feet to suffering saints. We have the, hand, the opportunity to be hands and feet to suffering. Do you realize that every uh, Friday night, beginning the first week of November to the end of, of uh, I believe it's the end of March. Maybe it's the first, sun, the first weekend of March. I can't remember. I apologize. We host LifePoint. We host a ministry called Room at the Inn. We bring in 10 to 12 Homeless men, we feed them, we don't bathe them, we provide an opportunity for them to be bathed, we give meals to them, clothes for them, we give them every opportunity. You can laugh about that, I meant that to be a little funny then. Uh, but we, we provide that opportunity. Did you, listen, out of the generosity 
of LifePoint, not the organization, the people, because the people are the church. Out of the generosity, do you realize that we feed and uh, clothe, we help people in a benevolent situation, we do light bills, we, uh, we're, we're a part of the food bank in the community, uh, we're, we're helping people who have no means, who are suffering. And you know what ends up happening? They end up going, man, the, the grace of God. I don't know if you know this, but did you realize that in our school system that there are children who go home on a Friday and do not eat another meal until Monday when they get back for free breakfast and free lunch? Uh, out of the generosity of this body, Life Point, I think there are four schools in Rutherford County that on Friday they get a backpack meal. The counselors have told us we stock a backpack meal. And they, so they will have something on Saturday and Sunday before they come back on Monday. Listen, and I want you to hear this. That's not just about an organization. That's about a people being generous. There's no way the organization can be generous if the people aren't generous because we've been given much and there are people in our community who need much. And we have the opportunity to step into that. But if we aren't a generous people, the organization can't be generous. Life point can't be generous. And so I call you to be a generous people. Number three is this. Generosity, being generous, frees us. It frees us from the idol-making that our heart does by hoarding and desiring everything that's new and updated. Now, I know nobody in here deals with that. Here we go. We're stepping into the season of the incarnation, and many of us can't think of anything except the 13 version of the last thing. What's going to be the next you know, I need this new, do we really need or do we desire? Uh, you know, the, a, a new, listen, some of you may need a new set of clothes, and you need to get that. Most of us desire a new set of clothes. I need the latest this, the upgrade of that. Not because we need, but because this is what the world has told us. And we've believed the lie. And you know what? We can't even be generous because we're so tied to the things that our heart has made an idol of. And I want you to hear me. That's not just, that's to us. That's to me. Lord, break me, break us. Because you graciously gave and generously gave so that we might also. He stepped out to bless us so that we might bless others. And number four, generosity begets joy. Generosity begets joy. I want you to know that you find no greater joy than when you are giving. We are no more, listen, we can never be more like Jesus than when we're giving. Except maybe serving. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus laid his life down. He gave his life as a ransom for my sin and for yours. Those of us who have surrendered our lives. And so Paul today he called the Corinthian church. He pointed them to an ancient Macedonian church. And he today, in the 21st century, 2019, the Holy Spirit speaks to us today at Life Point Stewart's Creek and says, I want you to excel in being a gracious, generous people.
Be generous. Be generous. Yes, tithe. Yes, be obedient to the tithe. But don't just do that. Beg. RC, how can we be generous to those in need? Have you looked across the street? Have you looked around the corner? Have you looked across the cubicle? Have you looked at someone in the office next to you and you realize, I need to step in? Listen, just a word. Don't call the church. You are the church. Step into it. Because when you step into it, you open the door for them to see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. We have that opportunity. So today, let's be gracious because let's be graciously generous. Let's excel in that because we are a generous body. Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you. And God, I know that in this room, you're calling someone, Father, to receive the gift of life that your son Jesus paid for on the cross. And I ask that you would save them today. I pray that you would open their eyes. God, that they would know you and that they would understand and that they would step out in obedience and respond to your faith call. I thank you, God, that there's nothing we can do. You graciously give us that. Help us to respond to it. God, I pray that you would make us a generous people. God, even as we head into this season that is all about your incarnation of giving to us, Father, may we be people who are generous people, not just giving desires, but, Father, we would be willing to give needs, step into the needs of people so that they might understand the glorious, generous Jesus gave his life for them. Lord, I honor you and I thank you for this body. And I pray, Father, that we are able one day, someone would say, at life point, they were a generous body. That Stewart Creek body, they excelled above all. May we be people of generosity. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things.